Can I just tell you how good it is to be back here with you? Um, it is an understatement to say that we have missed you, our church family, in this church. Um, it has been wonderful to visit other places, um, but it is so good to be home. And uh, I can tell you this, um, without exaggeration, for the last four weeks in a row, every single Saturday night and Sunday morning, our kids have come to us and pled with us saying, can we please go back to our church this morning? We've thought a few times about sneaking in when, with disguises on and things like that, but um, we, we thought it was best to, to wait, and uh, the anticipation of coming back here and the gratitude we have for you, the love we have for you, has only increased in our time away, and uh, we, are, we are so, so grateful to be back here. Um, we learned so much um, on our sabbatical break, and uh, much of it was unexpected. Things don't always go the way you plan, and God has a way of teaching you things in some really interesting ways. But one of the things we learned most of all through our sabbatical break was the importance and the need of rest in our lives. I don't think we understood how much we needed to rest until we were actually experiencing that rest. And my assumption is that that's probably the same for you in your life. And so I wanted to begin this morning kind of with my first message back in the pulpit with a very simple, but I believe an incredibly important question, and that's this. Do you believe you can say with confidence that you are enjoying true rest? Do you believe that you can say this morning with confidence that you experience and enjoy true rest and do you do so on a regular basis in your life? Is it a normal part of your life to experience the rest that only God provides? The life-giving, anxiety-relieving, chaos-calming, soul-satisfying rest that you were designed to find in God alone. In our busy culture, the concept of true rest may seem somewhat elusive. Anxiety, depression, and the diagnosis of countless other stress-related disorders and diseases are on the rise. Many of us, even sitting in this room, feel incredibly weary by the burdens and struggles and pains and trials of life. Many of us feel trapped in the relentless pursuit of more. We feel like a hamster stuck in a wheel, always on the go, the pressure for more. Maybe some of you even here are believing that rest is not only unnecessary for you, but it is actually an obstacle in your way towards greater success, achievement, and accomplishment. And in your mind, if you could simply do away with rest, right, for you that's just a waste of time. It's getting in the way of accomplishing what you believe you need to accomplish in your life. But the reality is that without true rest, we are weary, we are busy for the sake of being busy, and many of us experience great and deep burdens. Some of us are on the brink of burnout, and some of us are well beyond that point. The reality is that it is impossible to thrive and flourish in life. And let me explain what I mean by that. It's impossible to flourish, listen, mentally, 
emotionally, physically, relationally, and spiritually until we learn to find our rest in God, until we are experiencing the ongoing rest that he provides. And this morning, I want to look at a a biblical theology of rest. Some of you are like, Ian, I've been waiting for you to preach this sermon my entire life. And here's what we must learn. This is going to be on the screen right behind me. Here's, here's the big idea for the passage. You're going to hear this phrase repeated over and over again this morning because I want us to so desperately grasp this in our lives because I truly believe this will change the way you live your life and this will change the joy and the experience you have in your relationship with the Lord forever. Listen, if I want to thrive in life, holistically life, I must rest in God. If I want to thrive in life, I must rest in God. So I want to begin by talking about rest exactly where the Bible begins talking about rest. And that is, it should be no surprise to you, at the very beginning of the Bible. Referring to God himself. So take your Bibles. This shouldn't take you long. Open the first few pages to Genesis chapter 2. If I want to thrive in life, I must rest in God. And here's why. Here's the first point for this morning. Resting in God refills my tank. Resting in God refills my tank. It refuels me for life. In Genesis chapter 2, you'll notice... It begins like this in verse one. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And I want you to to pay close attention to what's being communicated to us in God's word. You see, after six days of universe sculpting work, God rests, and in so doing, he builds a rhythm into creation itself. This is the very first mention of the word rest in all of scripture, and it is so fascinating, isn't it, that the rest refers to God? I just want you to think about that just for a second. God rested. God, who doesn't need sleep, who doesn't get tired, who doesn't burn out, God, who doesn't need a day off, God, who needs nothing from anyone or anything, God, who holds the universe in the palm of his hand, who spoke it into creation, God rested. Remember this morning that the scriptures make it very clear in the creation account that we as human beings are actually made in God's image. We are made to mimic and to mirror what God is like to the world. And so it makes sense that the call for us is to pattern our lives after the pattern that God establishes here. You see, God works and then God rests and we work and then we rest. This cadence of work and rest is just as vital to our humanness, let me say it this way, as food and water and oxygen and sleep. It's mandatory for our survival, and that's to say nothing of our thriving in this life. It is absolutely crucial to a well-rounded, healthy, thriving life. And remember that this rhythm, it's so interesting, isn't it? This rhythm of work and rest is actually built into creation before the fall. 
before sin enters. You say, well, why is that important, Ian? Here's why it's important, because it reminds us that the need for rest is not a consequence of sin. It is uniquely designed by God to be good and healthy and right. Yes, sin has made the need for rest more important. Yes, the difficulty that life throws at us because of sin increases our need, our desperate need for true rest. And here we see that God has given us this concept of rest for our good. The word there in verse two is really important. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested. Twice the word rested is used in just these two verses. The Hebrew word is the word Shabbat. It's where we get the word Sabbath from and hopefully helpful for you, it's where we get the word sabbatical. It can be translated as to stop or to cease. So it's not necessarily rest when you think of God being tired, it's not that at all. The the implication here is to stop and to cease and more importantly for our context here, it needs to be translated as to celebrate. That's so important to grasp when it comes to true rest in God. And the Jews, you know, the Jews have long uh, practiced the art of the Sabbath. And they have understood it as a specific kind of rest that we are called to enjoy. You see, it's not simply taking a nap and kicking your feet up, much to our chagrin. It's a restfulness that's also a celebration of God and of his good creation. The Sabbath, according to scripture, is not just a day to not work. It's actually a day to delight and to celebrate and to worship. It's about cultivating an environment and an atmosphere to enjoy your life, your world, and your God. It's a day when God has my undivided attention. It's a day when I am fully engaged with my family and friends. It's a day with no to-do list, there's no pressure to accomplish anything, and here's the key, listen, and I don't feel guilty about it. So what can this look like in my life if, if I am to embrace this idea of a Sabbath? Well, let me just give you some helpful thoughts. Maybe it's a day where you turn your phone off. Maybe it's a day when your email is closed and you refuse to go and check up on what's going on in the office. It most certainly is intended by God to be a day where you are fully present in your relationships. It is not a day to buy and sell. It's not a day to get more. It's a day to enjoy what we already have and what God has so graciously given to us. It's a celebration of life in God's very good world and it is a celebration of the God of our lives. Verse three makes a really interesting and and helpful insight for us into what this is to be for us. It says, so God, listen to this, he blessed the seventh day What's so fascinating about that is is if you just trace the word blessed in the first couple of chapters of the book of Genesis, you find an interesting pattern. You see, this is the third time that God uses the word blessed in the creation story. The first time can be seen all the way back in, in chapter one, verse 22, where God, 
he creates part of the animal kingdom, and this is overarching towards the animal kingdom, and it says, and God blessed them saying, listen, listen, here's the blessing, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seeds and let the birds multiply on the earth. The second time God uses this word blessed is in verse 28 in regards to the creation of humanity. And look at what it says. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. The third time is right here. God blesses the seventh day. And the connection maybe is beginning to jump off the page for you, but here the blessing is related as it is before to propagation, to flourishing, and you might say it like this, to accomplishing your God-given mandate or role. In other words, the very idea of blessing, you need to know, it means this, to, to be filled with power. It can mean this, and it does in this context. To fill with power, to fill up with strength. You see, the weariness of work is countered here with resting in God. And God had blessed one day a week to help us refill our tank, to recharge our battery, that we might be filled up with his strength and his power so that we could flourish in life, so that we could thrive on the mission to which he has sent us. You see, rest, if we understand it in the word of God, and if we understand true rest in God, it refills us with energy, it refills us with creativity, it refills us with vision and strength and optimism. It fills us with a greater sense of joy and clarity and peace and hope, and that's exactly what God wants to offer the creation that he loves. Rest, according to God, is to be a fountain of life, Some of you in here, you're like, yes, I want this. I am thirsty for this because I don't experience this in my life. I am tired, I am worn out, I am depleted, and I just desperately need what you're talking about. Listen, if you wanna thrive in life, you must rest in God. And here I hope you're seeing the importance of that rest for you. Secondly, I want you to make note of this, that resting in God reorients my focus. And this is equally as vital for our lives. It's equally as vital to have God reorient our focus so that we can continue to thrive in this life. I want you to notice not only in verse three does it say God blessed the seventh day, but this is added as well, and he made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So God blesses the seventh day but he also makes it holy. And by the way, this is also, this is so fascinating, this is the first mention of the word holy in the Bible. The first mention of a word was always important to any, any scholar of the Old Testament and especially the Jewish scholars. You see, a first mention kind of becomes an interpretive key. It becomes the means by which you interpret all of the other occurrences of that word. It makes sense, right? You look at the way the word is first used and that helps you, it gives you a lens through which you can actually begin to see how this word is supposed to be understood moving forward. The word holy means to be set apart, to be consecrated, to devote to, 
And what's so interesting is that God doesn't make a place holy. Did you catch that? God doesn't make a building holy. God doesn't make a shrine holy. Here we see that time is made holy. God calls us through his word to set aside or to consecrate a time. And I I don't think this should come as any surprise to us. I think in life we understand, right, that not all moments, not all time is created equal. There are some moments in this life that are so much better than others, aren't they? There are some moments in this life that are so much sweeter than others, so much more meaningful than others. You know, on our sabbatical, this is something that, that God really taught me as well. It was so refreshing to be away and to, to disconnect. It was challenging in some ways, but it was refreshing in some ways. And we did a lot of fun things with our kids. We were away in the U.S. for almost four weeks straight, and we spent lots of time with friends. We did lots of fun things. We, we went to lots of fun places. I mean, it was, just, it was just such a great time. And last week, Sarah and I, my wife, we sat down with our three kids, and, and we, just, we simply wanted to hear from them, just off the cuff, without any parental influence or persuasion, what their top five highlights were from the sabbatical as it was coming to an end. And you know, my, my daughter Karis is 10, and my son Josh is eight, and Caleb is three, so he just copies everything that they say. And, and we just said, well, what are the top five highlights? And without missing a beat, both of my two older children said, time with dad. And then obviously a lot of other fun things, but. And this is, listen, this, this is a, a freebie for you parents out there. Some of you know this already, but let me just reiterate. Listen, it's not about how much you get for your children. It's how much your children get of you. There is such a joy and a delight and a rest that your children get, just practically speaking, parents, that your children get from quality time with you that enables them to thrive in life. Time that, that if they're robbed of, if they don't experience, and studies prove this time and time again, a children who don't have those times with their parents or who grew up in broken homes where there is no time for them, listen, they suffer, they struggle in immense ways. But parents who give themselves to their kids in a healthy way, they set their kids up to thrive in this life. And you know what's so interesting about just that one simple principle? You want to know who else modeled this in his life? Jesus. Do you remember when Mary and Joseph, remember they're traveling back from Jerusalem and they realized that they had forgotten something? Oh yeah, Jesus? How does that happen? You ever think about that? Like how, how do you get home and you know, many of his parents maybe have had that experience, but it's a lot longer of a journey. It's not like the grocery store or the mall. But when they come and get Jesus, do you remember what he says to them? Didn't you know I would be in my father's house? And then the point there is that it was less about the building that he was in and more about being in the very presence of his father. Do you realize that time and time again, Jesus, in the midst of a busy life, a busy ministry schedule where he is completely depleted after giving himself out of love, sacrificially serving others around him, the way he finds rest for his soul is to get alone with God. This is so instructive for our souls. I mean, this is why, if you're a part of this church, this is why you hear these kind of things often, how important it is for you to be spending time with God daily in his word and in prayer. 
meditating on the scripture, rising first thing and diving in, getting your eyes on Jesus Christ. This is why it's so important to be a part of a local family of God, a local church, because it pulls you back away from the burdens and cares of the world and the struggles and responsibilities of life, and it takes your focus and it places them back on what helps you prioritize everything else in your life and view it with the proper perspective. So if this morning you find yourself busy, tired, depleted, if you find yourself easily agitated, easily angry, maybe you find yourself struggling with substances or some other crutch that you've been leaning on to dull the pain of life, listen, listen, those are indicators for you this morning that you are not experiencing the rest in God that he calls you to experience. But the good news is that in God's grace he calls you towards his rest. You see, rest is always found in the presence of God. Rest is not found in our wisdom. Rest is not found in us strategizing and working harder. Rest is not found in another person or another thing. It's not found in material possessions or money. It's found in the presence of God. And if I could just Jump back on the principle I laid out for us parents. Listen, it's not about what you get from God in your relationship with him. It's about how much of God you get. You see, the Sabbath is a day you strive to savor every second because it's holy. It is set apart. And when we think of holiness, we're often inclined to think about being set apart from sin, right? And that's, that's true, that's right, that's one side of the coin. But one of the things that's so fascinating is that the mention of holiness here predates any sin. There's no sin to be set apart from, do you understand that in this context? And so the, at the most fundamental level, the concept of holiness needs to be understood as this, being devoted to something. It's about what you give yourself to. It's not just about what you don't do, but what you do. And I wanna give you maybe a helpful grid as you're processing just the idea of rest and maybe some kind of a Sabbath in your own life. Here's two questions you can ask as as a grid to evaluate the things that are maybe consuming your life and and whether or not it's going to be helpful for you. Here's the first one is is this. You just ask yourself, whatever you're, you're gonna do, is this actually rest for me? Is this rest for me? Listen, for me, I find going on a 60-kilometer bike ride restful. Some of you think that's horrendous. But it's restful for my soul. It takes my mind off of the troubles of life and the difficulties I'm dealing with and allows me some freedom to fix my gaze upon the Lord, to, to acknowledge and admire and appreciate and worship because of the beauty of creation, to enjoy the physical benefits that thrill my heart and hurt it a lot at times. Ask yourself, is this rest? And then ask yourself the more important question. Listen, is this worship? Is this worship? Is this something I can do as an act of worship to God? And if it meets those two qualifications, then listen, delight in it and enjoy that time. If it doesn't meet those qualifications, then put it off till tomorrow, it can wait. 
You see, in this process of this, this one day being holy, God is trying to reorient our focus. That's why it's a rhythm of life. Because God knows that throughout the week, our focus shifts away from him. The responsibilities add up. The stresses add up. And we need constantly to be pulled back to him. One of the things we we learn on our sabbatical, kind of in this vein as well, is just simply put that God doesn't need us. I remember trying to disconnect initially at the first part of the, the three months off, and it was incredibly challenging but over the course of time, and I can say this with full confidence, I just began to forget about all the responsibilities and cares. You know, at the beginning, I'm like, oh, what about this and what about this? And I, I hope that's being taken care of. You know, all of these things you're kind of processing. But eventually, it got to this place where I'm just like, and with all due respect, I love you, but I don't care what's happening. And obviously, I, I mean that tongue in cheek, but, but the point is this. I got to this place where I was simply saying, like, God, I realize you don't need me. <laughs> like, this place is not dependent in any way upon me. You can use whoever you want, however you want, to do whatever you want. And I'll just tell you, can I just tell, like, that is so freeing. It is so freeing to realize that God doesn't need you, he doesn't need me, but he delights in using you and me. And I, can I just, just, this is a really good time for me just to, just to pause and just to let you know how grateful I am for all the people who stood in this pulpit and served you by, by preaching the word and shepherding your soul and caring for you. I'm tremendously grateful for both those outside our church and those inside our church. Uh, can I tell you how grateful I am to our elders and our staff who, who just are, they're just phenomenal. They're just truly, truly phenomenal in how they work so diligently for the Lord and long to serve you. I'm so grateful that the Lord doesn't need me. It's a great reminder this morning, listen, that maybe some of you, you're just, you, you feel the weight of the world upon your shoulders and you need to be reminded that the weight of the world does not rest upon your shoulders. It rests upon the shoulders of God. There's nothing in your life too big that he can't handle. And you're not doing yourself any favors believing that you can take the place of God. God doesn't need us, we need him, amen? So what exactly does a sabbatical look like? Well, let me just say this, it's not the same thing as a day off. That's gonna be really helpful for some of you to process this. You see, a day off, you don't work for your employer, but you still work. You do the normal work of life. You grocery shop, you pay your bills, you mow your lawn, you pull your weeds, you fix your car, you work on your side business or side jobs, but on the Sabbath day, you rest and you worship, that's it. And I know what's happening right now. Some of you are like, Ian, you saying that is making me anxious. Like, don't you understand how much I have to do? Don't you understand how busy my life is? I actually can't afford to take even an hour off of rest. And listen, can I just say that all of those excuses are proving my point. They're the very reasons you actually need to. Because you have convinced yourself that everything relies upon you instead of believing in faith that it actually relies upon God. I know the other question some of you are asking, and rightly so. Well, is the Sabbath actually commanded in the New Testament? It's a trick question, right? Because the answer is no. Surprisingly, listen, all of the Ten Commandments are reiterated in the New Testament except the Sabbath command. 
But, but let me back up for a minute. Do you, do you realize that when Moses gave the Ten Commandments, do, do you want to know which of the Ten Commandments receives the most real estate? Which is the most lengthy? Which contains the most words? You guessed it, right? It's the Sabbath. And what's so fascinating is that if you read the account of the, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, here's how it begins with the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath. Just think about that. Why does God have to tell the people of Israel to remember the Sabbath? The simple answer is because it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to neglect. In the busyness and chaos of life, it's so easy just to say, ah, maybe next week. And we need to be reminded that, that, that this kind of rest is something that we have to fight for. It's actually something that we have to protect. It's something we have to guard deeply because, listen, we believe it is so important for the health of our soul and the health of our life. No, the New Testament does not reinforce this command. And for some of you, I just gave you a way out of it. For some of you, you're like, perfect, that's all I needed to hear, sermon over, I'm not doing it. And to that, I would just simply say this, there isn't a command to eat food or drink water or sleep eight hours a night in the Bible, that's just wisdom. It's how the human body was set up to thrive and flourish. You don't have to do them, you'll just die if you don't. I mean, you can eat a brick for breakfast, it's not sin, it's just dumb, okay? You don't have to practice the Sabbath in your life, it's not sin, listen, it's just, come on, finish it with me, dumb. It's dumb. It's foolish. It's counterproductive. Moses in Exodus chapter 16, verse 29, listen to what he says. He said, the Lord, he says, see, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. And you need to hear that. The Lord has gifted you the Sabbath. Some of us are like, it's a burden. It's gonna take away from my life. And Moses is reinforcing the way that God has designed it. Listen, don't you understand? God has gifted it to you. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two. Remember that in the wilderness, as they were collecting manna? On the sixth day, they were to gather a double portion and prepare it so that they didn't have to gather manna and cook on the seventh day. You get like, No grocery shopping, no food prep. So you could simply be freed up to rest in the Lord, to fix your gaze upon him, to worship him, and to celebrate his goodness and kindness in your life. In Mark chapter two, verse 27, you know, Jesus had a terrible time with the Pharisees when it came to the Sabbath. They are always trying to trap Jesus, particularly when it comes to his use of or activities on the Sabbath, right? They had made the Sabbath about a whole bunch of rules you can't do, and they forgot about what the Sabbath is actually for. And Jesus in Mark chapter two, verse 27, do you remember what he says to him? He says, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. In other words, he's reiterating what Moses said. Don't you understand? The Sabbath was always meant as a gift for the flourishing and the good of humanity. It's to your detriment if you don't practice this. Let me say it again. Listen, if you want to thrive in life, you need to rest in God. If you want to thrive in life, you need to rest in God. Why? Because resting in God reorients our focus. For most Christians, Sunday is the most logical day to do this. It's a day to come together as God's people 
to gather, to worship, to celebrate, to serve, and to love one another. It's a day where we can wake up and you know, make that sweet heavenly nectar known as coffee. Where we can, yes, take a nap to the glory of God, amen? Where we can enjoy good food and fellowship with family and friends where we can let it, listen, this is so, so key, where we can let it call our attention back to the creator's presence, beauty, power, and glory in our lives and all around us. See, Sunday, the Lord's Day, in church history, replaced the Sabbath for Christians. And it serves for us as a weekly reminder that reorients our focus again away from the cares and worries and responsibilities of the week and places our focus back on the one who holds everything in the palm of his hands. And so if I want to thrive in life, I must rest in God. Let me give you one more reason why. Because resting in God redeems my soul. Resting in God, this kind of rest that we're talking about, actually is the means by which God redeems our soul and then constantly refreshes it with a thought of his redeeming love. You can turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. And I want to show you how the New Testament makes some connections with the Sabbath for the believer. Hopefully by now you're at least convinced of the principle of the Sabbath in your life, the need for rest and a day devoted to celebrating God's grace in your life. But you see, God intended the Sabbath rest to be a, a constant reminder of his saving grace. The Sabbath actually is expanded as you move through Scripture. More and more understanding of the Sabbath is opened up to us as more elements are brought into the mix in the grand story of God's redemption. It's actually expanded to include not only a celebration of God as creator, but a celebration post-sin of God as redeemer. And there's going to be a, some scripture references on the screen behind me. We're going to move very quickly here through a number of passages, but I trust you'll stick with me and you'll grasp the, the magnitude of what the word of God says about this. But in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15, look at what it says. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Then catch this. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath, Sabbath day. Do you see how he connects it with their redemption, their deliverance from slavery and bondage to it in Egypt? The freedom that they find in being brought into a relationship with God himself and the redemption that he offers. Later on, the promise of land. As the people of God wandered through the wilderness, God held out before them the promise of land and he connected it to this idea of a more permanent rest for them as they wandered as strangers and sojourners and aliens through the, the desert wilderness, enduring a lack of a home, 
a lack of a permanent place where the presence of God dwelt among them. Yes, he moved amongst them in the tabernacle, but they were always on the go. God said, listen, there is coming a day when I will give you a land. I will lead you into the promised land, and there you will find rest. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 14, and he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Please don't miss that rest is always connected back to the very presence of God with you. God had promised his people a land owned by him. And as I said, as they were sojourners and strangers and aliens, they actually entered into the land by the grace of God, and this is so fascinating, by the very price of redemption. In Leviticus 23 and 24, it says that the land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me, and in all the country you possess, you shall allow a redemption of the land. Let me add to it, this theological point, some of you have picked up when you read the creation account that there's something very distinct about the seventh day of creation. Not simply that God rested, but there's a formula that's in place on all of the days of creation, in, in, in the morning, in the evening, right, and there was one day, but when it comes to the seventh day, do you realize that it doesn't close with that same refrain? There's actually no end to the seventh day. You say, well, that's fascinating, Ian, but what's the point? What's the significance of that? Listen, the implication theologically is that it points to an eternal, unending reality. That there is, listen, there is an infinite, unending, eternal rest that we were created to know and enjoy in the presence of our creator and redeemer forever and ever and ever. It tells us that we were created by God, the purpose for which you were created. If you're an unbeliever here today, or if you're, listen, you need to hear this. The very reason God created you was so that you could live in an eternal, satisfying, rest-filled, peace-filled relationship with him. The problem is sin, isn't it? Sin enters the equation and sin ruptures the relationship that we, God's creation, have with him as our creator. There is now a disconnect between us and God, a gap that is unbridgeable in our own strength and effort and merit. St. Augustine famously prayed, thou has made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. And because of sin, even as followers of Jesus Christ, we often find ourselves not running to God for rest in moments of weakness and sometimes unknowingly, we actually don't believe that God can provide what our weary soul needs. We don't believe that God is going to be faithful to meet those deep longings in our soul. We try the world's ways, as Augustine was doing before he wrote these words. We glory in our shame. We run toward, toward the antidotes of the world. We temporarily dull the pain or the, and fill the void with the things that do not last and cannot last because we were created to find rest in God. And in Hebrews chapter four, right here, 
The author of Hebrews in chapter three has begun to explain how there is still a rest for the people of God. And he makes a connection back to the Israelites who wandered in the wilderness, and he wants to remind us and to warn us and to exhort us not to make the same mistake that some of those unfaithful Israelites made. Do you remember the first generation who, who didn't believe God, they didn't trust God, and they rebelled against God? And they never got to see the promised land. They never got to experience, in that sense, the rest that God was pointing them towards. And in verse 1, chapter 4, I just want to read this for you. Look at what the author of Hughes does as he picks up on this theme. He says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter the rest. As he has said, quoting back to Genesis chapter two, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Sorry, that's not Genesis two, that's back in Exodus Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken on the seventh day in this way, here's Genesis 2.2, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. And since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again, he points a certain day, appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. He ties together these themes of promised land and creation Sabbath rest, warning and exhorting us not to miss out on the rest as some have. Paul says in Colossians 2 that therefore no, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. These, he says, are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. You see, the original Sabbath was a signpost pointing towards something greater. It was a rest, yes, but it pointed towards a deeper, a greater rest that could only be experienced under the new covenant. And though we may practice the Sabbath principle in our lives as wisdom, we are told that the true Sabbath rest is found now most fully in and through Jesus Christ. Is it any wonder that Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. You see, now and for eternity, our rest is found in Christ. Jesus doesn't say go to God to find rest. Jesus says come to me because he is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father but through him. We go to Jesus for rest because it is only there that 
the stain and the guilt and the shame of sin is removed. It's only there that the the wrath and the punishment for our sin is dealt with in full so that we could be reunited back into a right relationship with God. It's only at the cross that we come back and we find his shed blood that has forgiven us of all of our sins, wiped us clean as snow. It is only at the cross where we find life and freedom and rest. You see, resting in God redeems my soul. And the Lord's table, communion, is a constant reminder of that truth for us. If you want to thrive in life, you must rest in God. But you cannot rest in God until you come to God through Jesus. Jesus.